All right, race fans, Ryan Ejo and the one and only Bert Lehman. Bert, how you doing, man? I'm doing really good. Uh, um, I mean, on the western part of the state, you guys already have one race in. Uh, uh, this upcoming weekend is uh, Shawano Speedway has a practice, so, you know, and it's 80 degrees today here in uh, eastern we're, Wisconsin. <laughs> we're close. I'm looking outside. The sunny, the sun shining. We're close in the Wissota season, almost underway. Well, we're going to get into a little bit of that right now. Race fans, we're bringing you episode number 74 of the One to Go Show, brought to you by our friends over in Watertown, South Dakota, Dirt Track Supply. Huge thanks to Ron and Trevor over there. I mean, this is the time of year. If you need parts, if you need anything, parts are hard to get, by the way. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit too. But if you need something, you need fabricating done, get a hold of them guys. They'll take good care of you and uh, great people over there in Watertown. So dirttracksupply.com, check it out. And let's get into a week in review. There's a lot of racing going on. One rain out, I guess, to kind of start, you know, we're talking we'll talk about the Southern Nationals. And, you know, I was kind of looking at the World of Outlaw stuff with the Illini 100. Well, then all of a sudden I look at the Southern Nationals, that Schaefer Southern Nationals. I think that's Ray Cook's series down there, I think is what I believe so. And I'm like, man, they got some pretty good paying races for this deal. I was pretty impressed started looking at some of the drivers going to some of these races. I'm like, I might have to pay attention to some of these. And of course you said it's withy. I think it's withy speedway. They canceled there on Friday night. So mother nature, the winner there, but Saturday night, they went down to Taswell and Bert, I, I looked at that track was like a big old bowl. And I'm like, Jeff said, our late model expert said it's kind of like a big toilet bowl, which the racing kind of was shitty. So maybe he's right. I'm not really well, sure. <laughs> I actually, actually tuned in live for the feature for that event and uh when i first saw the track i thought oh that would be a cool race to, or cool place to watch a race at but then i watched the feature well maybe not <laughs> yeah it was just it's so banged that it was just top dominant i mean you went down the it kind of it kind of bowled out like this so if you went down to the bottom you got in the flat you just lose all your speed and you just kind of had to keep that thing revved up but they had the Bill Corum Memorial for 21,000 to win. That's a good paying race. That's a that's borderline. I mean, it's not a crown jewel. It's not, but it's it's getting to that pay scale of where, you know, it's, that's we're talking some real money here. And a couple things come to light right away. I looked at the people being there. Jonathan Davenport was there, Jimmy Owens. Um, I think Turbo was at that one. Overton. Overton was there, and then all of a sudden, on the last minute deal, yeah. this number six dude, um, uh, Keith can maybe he's not on the show. Uh, Kyle Larson, oh, yeah, that, that's what that guy's name is. He showed up to that race too. It's like, all right, they got some hitters here, plus, they had some some regulars in that area that really run well at home, like Macintosh and some of those guys. Bert, I know you watched that race live. Why don't you just kind of talk about you know what stuck out to you and uh, kind of what happened in that race at Taswell? Well, I mean, what stuck out to me, well, I mean, Jonathan Davenport won the, won the race. So, I mean, you know, we've talked, we've talked a lot on the show about, you know, his ups and downs and it seems like he's definitely on an up right now after winning Bristol and now winning this, uh, this Southern race this last weekend. Um, and I mean, uh, there were some restarts where some drivers kind of got close to him, but I mean, otherwise Davenport pretty much dominated a uh, little surprising that uh, Brendan Overton didn't have a better showing. Uh, I think he finished like ninth or so 
Yeah, eighth, ninth, somewhere. It was in the top 10, but really just a non-factor the, the whole night, which is not normal for Big Sexy. Yeah, and then uh, Jimmy Owens started deep in the field, I think 19th, but he got up to around the top five, fifth or so. Yeah, he got sixth. Jimmy Owens sixth. got sixth, but still, he still, I mean, he got up there, he passed a few cars, but he was, both of them two, outside the top five, really not much of a factor in the race, but at least that's a couple notables that were there. Would you say, Bert, the best race, in my opinion, was really kind of between Kyle Larson and Turbo? They kind of swapped. Yeah. I, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, they swapped positions a couple of times and uh, um, which was, which was actually was kind of interesting because as I was watching it, I mean, you know, Turbo has his podcast with on dirt on dirt where he's a co-host of a podcast. And uh, I remember watching one of his podcasts, listening to it and they were talking about Kyle Larson and, you know, he just flat out said that he hopes Kyle Larson doesn't do well because he doesn't think it's good for dirt late model racing for somebody to just come in and start winning right away in a in a division they've never raced before yeah there might be a little jealousy there it might be an ego <laughs> thing too I'm just saying you know you get you get some other dude come in and kind of rains on your parade a little bit now neither one of those two are afraid to chuck a slider I right. <laughs> Turbo, Turbo will slide down three or four guys at a time, but so will Kyle Larson, and that's why he's so darn good in them open wheels, too, because he's he's not afraid to get in a pump. So those two, be, Kyle seems like he's a, just a little guy, right? He's like a horse jockey, little, little <laughs> tiny guy. So I don't think he wants to get into it with Turbo, you know, but the fact is behind the wheel, both of those two are highly entertaining to watch. In fact, if you take Davenport out of that race, who clearly just dominated, that would have been a hell of a battle for the lead between them two. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as I was watching it, you know, I was wondering if Turbo was going to trade a little paint there, you know, you know, you know, you kind of the drivers that you race against weekly, you kind of, you know, maybe give them a little bit of leeway, but you know, I was expecting, I wasn't expecting Turbo to give Larson any leeway at all. <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. Not, not a lot of leeway to be had there. But uh, needless to say, it was a pretty good race in Jonathan Davenport on a hot streak right now. Um, boy, I don't even know. He's got to have five, maybe six, five wins for sure, um, but maybe six. So he's, I think he's, out of all the national drivers, he's got to be leading the win count right now, which is bad as he ran in Florida. Like we talked about him down in Arizona. We're like, man, he's, he's bad. He's good. Mm -hmm. He goes to Florida. We're like, nope, just kidding. He's not. <laughs> he's he's terrible again. And then all of a sudden he gets that second there, and he's like, "That's it. I'm going home." And I think he skipped Volusia, and and then he uh, then he's like, "Now he's back." He looked really good at Bristol. He looked really good there. So we'll see if maybe he has. Uh, we'll see what happens this weekend. I I think he's heading up to Bristol. That's on his schedule. But let's mm -hmm. uh, let's jump over to uh, I guess in my opinion the best racing of the weekend was the World of Outlaw Late Models over at Farmer City, the Illini 100. And Bert, that, that was some good stuff. And I know you watched all of that. I'm going to let you go ahead and start, and we'll talk about our picks. We'll talk about what I saw. But uh, let's, let's talk about night number one first. You know, what stuck out to you on night number one? And I believe that one was for, I don't I think 6,000 to win. And I think it was, was it 20 grand to win on night two? I think it was. I so, believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So they had some good money on the line, six grand to win. It was still a point show, but what stuck to, out to you on Friday night? 
Well, um, you know, I, I just watched the features from from the two nights. I didn't watch the heat, heat races. But I mean, obviously, the first thing that comes to, to mind for me from night one is a local driver. I mean, he's a few hours, he lives a few hours away from me, but he's in, from eastern Wisconsin down by Milwaukee. Uh, Taylor Scheffler went down there and had overall quick time. And uh, so, you know, that was impressive. He started... That was the race he started on the front row in the feature, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Faded back to 15th in the final rundown, but I mean, to be overall quick and when he won his heat race and he didn't have any slouches in his seat race either. I mean, pretty much the top drivers were in his, his heat race. So, uh, you know, very good weekend for, for Taylor Scheffler. Yeah, he made the trip down. He ran down there quite a few times last year between mm -hmm. there a few nights at Fairbury, and that's only going to gain him experience. You know, you run against that caliber of drivers. I mean, you make if you're a little off, you backpedal in a quick hurry. And we'll talk about some of the guys that were not just a little bit off, but Shepard, yeah, he had a good weekend there overall. Not not a top five runs or whatever, but right. you know, he he ran with them and he shows that he's you know, he's maybe making them strides to where maybe he can start right. uh, running top five with them guys. I mean, you know, part of, uh, part of having good finishes in the feature is starting near the front. And I mean, he backed up his fast time on the second night. I mean, not to jump ahead too far, but he didn't have overall quick time, but he had quick time in his group. So he was the second fastest drive. Well, he, he led his group. And uh, so, you know, to have good finishes, you have to start near the front. And if you want to start near the front, you have to qualify well. And he's uh, he started last year already. He was qualifying well down at those tracks. So he's he's gotten the hang of qualifying. Now he can just move on to the next step. Like like Rowdy Burns said, now let's see what he can do in a group, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, needless to say, another guy that went down there from Wisconsin, Jimmy Mars. And oof. Did he have a rough weekend? He he actually led the heat the first night. And then I think he got together. I don't remember who it was with, but they got together. Um, I think maybe Spatola got, got into his left front and he ended up with a left front flat. Well, that put him in the back of the B main. And it, it just, it went from bad to worse. And Jimmy Mars, just not a good weekend for the Iceman. Um, but let's talk about the feature because that feature the first night was incredible um the second night was good too but the first night was unbelievable in my opinion you know what stuck out to you from the a main six grand to win night number one of the Illini 100 uh well uh bobby pierce is known for his sliders and uh he uh one went bad well as he described it he tried a slider but it didn't work well yeah it didn't work because shirley was right next to him and he, i mean basically body slammed surely into the wall and uh i mean pierce said that's racing but i don't i don't know about that <laughs> you know and at that time there was five illinois guys in the top five right so i mean we're talking they, they had a great performance from that illinois group but yeah he just land blasted them and really knocked Shirley out of contention. I think Shirley maybe end up seventh or eighth or something after that deal. But uh, I, in the same breath, though, that was coming off, I believe, coming off a of turn two. I, th I don't yep. remember what. It, so that was coming off turn two, and then getting into turn three, Lanigan power chopped. I think it was Lan yeah, Lanigan power chopped twenty RT into the tire, and uh, 
Thornton got spun around. Biello comes out. Thornton goes to the back on that deal. So two unrelated incidents, all like in the top five. And literally, next thing you know, like the whole top five was all shaken up after like one straightaway of racing. It was crazy. And uh, then it come down to the end. And I tell you, that a couple, couple guys that were locals there really looked good. Spatola, Unziker, and then, of course, Pierce got into the top three. And how did that pan out? Well, uh, Spatola uh, went on to uh, win his uh, first Outlaw, I believe it was his first uh, World of Outlaw feature, and I watched the interview uh, that they had with him afterwards, and they asked him about all the cautions, if he was glad the cautions came out, you know, because that way there was less traffic and whatnot, and he said he hated the cautions, he was a nervous wreck that entire race is what he said, uh, but yeah, he won, uh, Unzaker was uh, second, and Pierce was third. Um, did you see late in the race, uh, Unzicker punt a tire coming out of two? <laughs> and yeah, I he, mean, he, he just kept on going. It didn't, it, it didn't affect him at all. He just kept on going. Yeah, he's lucky he hit the tire <laughs> correctly, if there is such a thing, because it could have easily ripped the left front right off the car. Um, Brandon Shepard, who not qualifying well, right? He started deep in that deal, 18th. He did get up into the top five at the end of that deal. But what a race. I mean, Unziker was inside him. I mean, he was charging to the inside of Spatola. And I watched a lot from uh, from Fairbury last year, and that's kind of how it worked. That that uh, they call him Opie Spatola just charges the high mm -hmm. side. I mean, he's not afraid to push the cushion. Unzipper will run the cushion, but he seems like he's pretty good on the bottom too. So great battle up front, four of the top five in that deal, Illini guys, and that tells you that that help tour right there is entertaining. I mean, there is some quality race car drivers. And, and that's going to lead me to a question. And, and uh, before we get into Saturday, here's a question I have for you. So we see the World of Outlaw guys and Lucas guys, they come up into the Wissota region, so to speak, and they'll have shows and they kind of fill in the rest of the field with a lot of times Wissota cars or Wissota legal cars. Every once in a while, a Wissota guy might throw an open motor in and run with them, but they don't normally run that. And I look at a show like this where, where the Wu guys come to, you know, of course, Farmer City and all the guys that race in that area, well, they're running open late model rules weekly all year long. Does that produce a better show in your opinion? I think so. Um, you know, if you have drivers who are normally running those rules anyway, you know, they're going to know um, what their car does on a track. Uh, that they're familiar with in the first place. Uh, like, I mean, I'll use Eastern Wisconsin because that's what I'm more familiar with. But when the world of outlaws come up to Eastern Wisconsin, um, yeah, some drivers may drop an open motor in, but they don't race that every week. So they don't necessarily know what the setup is going to do when they hit the track with an open motor because the motor, uh, I mean, I'm not an expert, but the motor weighs different than what, you know, uh, a steel motor does. And, setup is is everything and you know that was one of the biggest complaints about the shano speedway world world of outlaw show was the locals have no chance you know on a half mile track um you know with with the smaller motors that they run so i think if all the cars are are used to running those same rules it's gonna make good racing and plus the illinois area like you said you know they have the hell tour that they race on and that can be grueling and you're racing against, you know, some top drivers, you know, seven, you know, 
seven days out of the week. <laughs> well, just think, think about some of the guys that we see, right? And they don't all run the health work. <clears throat> a lot of them run some of it. But you look at Shepard, you look at Shirley, Unziker, Jason Fager, of course, Spatola, the Gundakers, Dennis Herb Jr., um, the list kind of goes on and on. I mean, there is a stout, stout group of cars right. just from Illinois. And Illinois is not a huge state, but it's hard to believe there's that many good, um, top quality, like national late model touring guys that come from the state of Illinois. So um, it's going to be fun to see what they can do. There's, there's course races coming up more at, uh, more at Farmer City. There's some stuff at LaSalle. There's stuff at Peoria. There's stuff. Um, Fairbury is literally my favorite track right now to watch. So I'm excited <laughs> for some of those races, but uh, I, I think, I think we're right on the, on the right track. You know, I look at, even when they come to Wasota area, they go to a track, say like Superior or whatever. Yeah. I mean, if the track's slippery enough, some of the Wasota guys can keep up, but if there was grip on the track in Superior, then Wasota guys ain't keeping up. And it's just right. not, it's not as entertaining as it is when they go to Illinois when they're already running that stuff. Mm -hmm. So right. interesting deal. Let's get into Saturday. Well, be before we get to Saturday, I just want to mention, did you, uh, um, uh, a point to make is, uh, you know, we've talked on here before about, you know, whether Mars MB customs, you know, wishes they had more national drivers. Well, um, Unziker just switched to MB customs this year. So, uh, you know, they may not have some of the top names, but they have some pretty good drivers uh, under their belt, you know, that are racing their chassis. So, um, you know, maybe there should be another outlaw driver that should be switching a chassis. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about him. Maybe he already switched the chassis. Maybe he needs to switch again. I'm not really sure. I'm not sure who you're talking about, but I know who I'm talking about. Well, let's let's get into Saturday and then we'll get into that because that. That right there is kind of something that's a little troubling to me, but night number two, Saturday, the 20 grand to win, uh, they, they're Illini 75 because they had a 25 lapper, I believe, night one. Um, Pierce led the lion's share of that race, and yellow comes out, five to go. I think there was five to go, and on the restart, it's like he, it's like he was almost overwhelmed. Like he was way overthinking. Like on the restart, I don't know if you saw when he hit the gas when they went green. He went did one of the things way up to the outside to try to get a run, and it's like, why are you making? You're like leaving the door open, making things complicated. He comes in, he jumps a cushion. There goes Dillard for the lead. It's like, dude, just hit your marks, and he just way way overthought it. Like, do you think that maybe on that restart that he had kind of like a lot of pressure on him, and then he just like almost borderline panicked and almost gave that race away yeah I, I don't know uh what was going through his mind but you normally don't see that uh usually uh if pierce is in in front when there's a high side you know late in the race he's gonna win the race uh well actually he's lucky there was a high side well he made the high side work uh the last couple laps because he was able to to recover and did one of his patented sliders uh going into now that's, it would be three and four, right? And yeah. uh, because normally when you, that track configuration seems different than other ones, the way the camera angle is for some reason. Is, and, is well, the, they, the camera's on the back straightaway there too, right? I'm trying to remember. I mean, their flag man is in the infield, right? Yeah, it's kind of a weird deal. <laughs> yeah, But anyway. Need, needless to say, <laughs> it was a Bobby Pierce slider that he chucked going for the white. So, no, it's in the front straightaway because he was coming off four, I believe, 
he I think he threw the slider getting in yeah, three, three and four. Yeah. And they were coming yeah. to the white flag. So the, yeah, the camera's in the front straightaway, but yeah, the flag man is kind of down in the infield. He chucked that slider. Now, before we got to that part, RTJ came from a, a few rows back. He was kind of coming and I don't know if he hit the cushion, smacked the wall, but he folded his J bar that ended his night. Um, he, he hit, I don't know if it was from the cushion or from the wall or a combination of both, but he was in second and, you know, then, then he was done and it looked like if there was no yellow, it was just completely over, you know, um, Bobby Pierce was gone, but that yellow that made things interesting. Kate Dillard, you know, literally took the lead, actually led about two, three laps there at the end and then coming to one to go, here comes Bobby Pierce by him. So um, again, Illinois guys look good. You know, B-Chef up in the top three there. He came from pretty deep. Dillard, another MB. So MB's got second both nights. Mm -hmm. um, Cody Mallory, I don't know who needs you, man. I mean, like literally, I mean, you quit or I don't know. I don't know what happened there. So Cody Mallory signs on with Bobby Pierce. And like, he, that, that's kind of the big news is, you know, he got Jimmy Owens, his old crew chief guy, and he's going to go pit for Bobby Pierce and, Next thing you know, Pierce looked pretty fast, and then they they part ways. I heard the rumor that that he wanted Cody to move to Illinois. Cody didn't want to move to Illinois, so then they just parted ways. And next thing you know, Cody's at that next race with the high side pickler Kyle Strickler, and uh, who parks it in Victory Lane? Bobby Pierce. So it's like, all right, dude, don't need you. I just want. I. You know, it's kind of interesting development on the first weekend with Otis crew chief, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I read on Dirt on Dirt that that was the reason that uh, was he didn't want to move to Illinois, uh, but he was gonna he was still gonna do some consulting with Pierce and and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, um, one thing that was really weird to me in that race was one and two, the low side. They're at, they're actually like almost racing off the track, racing on the infield because. Um, I mean, it's a complete different dirt structure where there were the low where the drivers that were racing in the low groove were actually racing on the track. I mean, you could see the dust flying every time there was somebody <laughs> racing the low groove, but they made it work. <laughs> well, they had tractor tires down there, so <laughs> right. they had them moved in just a little bit. But you can tell the local guys really knew how to kind of hit the bottom. They ran really well. Now, they also had turtle races. Um, I don't know if you saw that, if they were at intermission or or what, but uh, they actually, uh, the, the chassis of choice right now for turtle racing, sniper chassis, um, really good at turtle racing. They, they're really good at going slow. I don't know what his deal is, man. I'm telling you, like, may, maybe he needs to just, like, scrap that whole deal and get, get into something else because he's not even competitive. And we're talking about Ricky Weiss, who is quite honestly one of the most talented guys out there. He's a hell of a a wheel man the guy's a good driver they're missing something i mean like literally in the heat race both nights he's like running like last or second to last i mean he's just not even competitive sneaks in with a couple provisionals and i think he got uh, i'm looking here a 22nd and a 17th place finish a lot of that due to attrition now i'm just saying okay you can't call it a sniper chassis if you're shooting a nerf gun all right it just i'm just saying okay and I hope they go faster and come to find out that uh, Massengill still has his kryptonite because of parts issues. Um, like, 
all across the country right now, people are trying to get parts, get cars done, they're packing them down and affordable. They're, they're having a hard time getting parts. So he's like, we're still waiting on stuff. We're starting with the kryptonite. I'm like, maybe that's a good thing because whatever Ricky's got going on right now, he's a, he's a non-factor. I mean, he's not even remotely competitive. So we'll see if he can turn this deal around. But right now, things for the seven car, not looking good. Um, he's going to have to step it up just a little bit, or he's going to, he's going for a long, long season. What do you think? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was the driver I was referring to with my comments before. Um, yeah. I mean, I, he may not have to scrap doing the new chassis, but I think he needs to, I think they need to put it on hold. I think they need to get into a chassis that they're, they can be competitive in continue to, you know, develop this sniper chassis if they want to continue to do that and then race it in local show, you know, race it in, in shows. I mean, he's racing for points in World of Outlaws, so he needs to race the sniper chassis in shows not for points for World of Outlaws where his living is, is determined <laughs> and, uh, and, and continue to do research and development. I mean, you know, when you build something, it just doesn't happen overnight. I mean, it's a process and you have to do research and development, make changes. And it's tough to do a research and development and compete for a championship at the same time. Well, you know, another thing is this is, is he's one of the few guys. He's just not racing, right? He's running the world of all that stuff. You don't see him. There's other guys you see Shepard and you see a lot of these guys, you know, when there's other shows going on, they're showing up and where's the seven car? I mean, literally half of Florida, he wasn't down there for some of that stuff. He, he wasn't at Bristol. He went to Bristol for the practice the week before, but didn't go back the following weekend. There's a lot of shows and he's where he's based out of. He has the ability to go run some of these shows in my eyes. Maybe it's a money issue. I don't know if they're lacking sponsor money. I don't know where they're at, but you would think, that he'd be running as much as possible right now to get that thing dialed in. Because if he would have, if he would have run six, eight more shows, maybe non-World of Outlaw shows that he could have raced, maybe some of them bugs would be worked out. And maybe he wouldn't be flopping around in the back like a turtle right now. You know, so I, I don't know. My, my advice to him is race. I mean, if you've got a car out there that you're struggling with, you better figure it out. And if, like you said, I mean, he can go get a, different chassis something that's proven something that's running well and get one of them and win races but if they're really serious about developing what they have you ain't going to develop it in the shop you need to right. develop it on the racetrack and if you're not racing how are you going to get better so i'm not really sure what his mindset what his reasoning is there um but it'll be interesting and and he better figure it out because i mean it's not like he's a little bit off the pace i mean he is incredibly slow right now and uh, we'll see if that uh, gets any better coming up this week at Bristol. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. And I have one more comment about uh, uh, Saturday's race. Did you watch uh, Dillard's post-race interview on Dirt on Dirt? No. Nope. Uh, well, first of all, Dillard, um, he said he's kicking himself because he feels he gave that one away because he said he should have went to the high side and, and, and just let her rip, but he didn't. Uh, but the other thing that was really interesting was they interviewed him by his car and laying uh, on the car by the cockpit was half of a drive shaft. And what he said happened was uh, some slower, you know, lap 
cars, a drive shaft came off of one of those, hit him in the shoulder, and it lodged in his cockpit. He said, luckily, it didn't lock, it didn't lodge by the pedals. So, I mean, he was able to keep racing, but he had a drive shaft in his cockpit. <laughs> wow. I did not know that. That's interesting. And I guess that's one of the, you know, I, I've been saying for a little while, oh, you don't need carbon fiber. You don't need carbon fiber. But maybe that proves right there that that is a good idea because if that would have been a low, aluminum or steel drive shaft at him in the shoulder, that would have left a, a lot more of a mark, right? Yeah. So, so maybe <laughs> there is something to the carbon fiber stuff for sure. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I can promise you, I know what happens when an aluminum drive shaft comes up into the cockpit or a steel one. You know, so that that's interesting. I didn't know that. That's uh, that's crazy. I'll have to check out that interview. I have literally never seen that in my life where you race a race and you got the drive shaft in the cockpit. That's mm-hmm. yeah. He got he got dang lucky on that one. Well, right. Bert, what do you what do you say we uh, do do our buddy Keith a favor, get into a little uh, buggy action, talk about the world. Oh, before we get into that, um, I do want to point out the Illini One Hundred, uh, Bert. I got to give you some props because. You are the only one that picked correctly on that deal. You picked Bobby Pierce to win yep. the big one there. So so you did get the pick right. Uh, the rest of us did not. So so good job on that one. Now we'll get into the World of Outlaw Sprints. So they went down to Peebley, Missouri, I-55, um, Friday, Saturday, doubleheader. And Donnie shots out to a lead. And uh, it was early in the race, halfway through, and again, leading, trying to get number 300, DNF. I don't know what the problem was, if it was ignition again. Um, I did not look back to see what the problem was, but needless to say, it broke. They push-started him. He got going. He pulled back in the infield again, but he had some kind of a mechanical issue there. Um, so shots still hanging around that went at number 299, looking for 300 with the World of Outlaws. Um, the big cat, I tell you, we'll just go Friday and Saturday on this one because nothing majorly dramatic happened, but Brad Sweet doubled up, not only making it three in a row on Friday night, but he just made it four in a row for the world of outlaws. So you're, uh, you're reigning champion right now is in championship form in that 49. I think maybe it's the blue and yellow. I don't know. I'm just saying, <laughs> you, know, you know, but I tell you, he's been bolted. Now I will say this, you you picked uh you picked sweet on day one yep. so that's two i picked him both days so i got i got sweet both days so you and i both had two correct and uh boy i'm looking through the list here and i'm gonna look at my phone really quick here bert but i don't believe that anybody else got anything else right i'm just saying um guys <laughs> guys pick up the pace a little bit here uh i'm talking to jeff pete and keith you're gonna have to pick it up you're going to have to pick it up because right now our picks after this past weekend, I'm at six. Bert's nipping at my heels right now at five. Pete is at three. Jeff's at two. And uh, Keith is hanging out back with Ricky Weiss back there somewhere. So you're going to have to pick it up just a little bit. But um, Brad, Brad Sweet kind of dominating right now in the world of outlaws. And and uh, I tell you, he's looking good. And we got it's, – it's been fun to watch. The second day – it was kind of, if there's such thing as a boring world of outlaw race, it was kind of boring. Even Keith texted me, he goes, that was kind of a boring sprint car race. I'm like, yeah, they don't happen too often, but it wasn't real racy there on night number two. So and did you, uh, anything stick out to you from the world of outlaws there, Bert? No, I mean, 
just other than, I mean, Sweet is uh, definitely uh, on a roll right now. So we'll see if uh, he can continue that. Uh, he's going to be tough to beat for the championship, obviously, if he keeps this up all season. Yeah, he's on fire right now for sure. For sure. Now, let's get into some modified action. They were down. Um, they had a rain out. They had to change things around due to weather. So they had the USMPS guys went up to Webster City to the Hamilton County Speedway for a double header up there. And I believe they paid five grand to win on day one and ten grand to win on day two. Um, Bert from the from the USMPS modifieds, what stuck out to you? Anything stick out? Are we talking just the first night or both no, nights? We're talking, or? we're talking about both. We can mix it all together. Well, I mean, it was definitely uh, um, the glory of winning and the agony of defeat for Terry Phillips. Uh, <laughs> he uh, he won the first night, Friday night. He won. And then early in the race, the second night, I mean, not, not only did he hit the wall once, but he hit it. I mean, he take the wall once and I didn't, I didn't even know how he could continue after he hit it that time. Cause he hit it pretty hard with his rear end and, but he continued around and that same corner, the car just would not turn at all. And he slammed it even harder than the first time. And obviously that was the end of his night. On yeah, the he tore night. some stuff up <laughs> for sure. It looked like, it looked like it was pretty much everything on the right front, I think was junk on the 75. So, you know, like you said, he won night one leading, you know, he's leading the USMPS championship points, started outside pole on night two and he's got to be kicking himself because, you know, that's a 26th place finish. I mean, even if he would have just been conservative in that deal, finished right. top five, he, he really had a bad point night. And with 34 or 36 shows, you don't want too many of those. So he kind of uh, let opportunity slip away and kind of let a few people back into the hunt, so to speak. Cause if he would have doubled up on that deal or at least ran podium, maybe the second night, he'd start stretching out that point lead and, and nobody wants to see that for 70,000 to win on the line for sure. Right. Exactly. And, um, you know, there was, uh, some good runs though, by some, uh, local drivers from, from the Western side of Wisconsin and, uh, Minnesota, more so Minnesota. <laughs> I was going to say Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota. <laughs> so, so night number one, of course, you know, went to Terry Phillips, but um, actually, Dan Ebert ran really good. Jake O'Neill got second, but Dan Ebert, night number one, started ninth, and he got up to third. So a great run for the 60. Um, Jesse Glenn's still not quite where he needs to be with the USMTS stuff yet. Uh, he got 12th. He finished towards the back there on night number two. Um, he's he's there, but he's not. He's, he's just he's missing something right now in that 89X. But on Saturday, Dustin Sorensen, man, I tell you, he come charging around the high side there. There was a yellow. I think there was like seven to go in Hughes and O'Neill. And them guys were up front. Here comes Sorensen carving on the high side, and he's stormed by everybody. I don't even remember where he was on that last restart. I feel like he was in like fourth maybe or something like that, and he just went up top, and he was impressive. Great to see the, the young gun. I think he's from – right around the Rochester, Winona area, somewhere in that neighborhood. But he got her done there. And uh, another guy, Dan Ebert, I tell you, he came from 16th to 2nd. And then on that restart, he stayed on the bottom. And you could see he must have been pretty soft on the right front because he was kind of bottoming out and causing a push. So he couldn't quite rotate in. And he slipped back to fourth, but a third and a fourth place finish, both top fives for the 60. Great run by him. Um, 
Yeah, Terry Phillips got 26. O'Neal is a guy, he got a pair of seconds. Jake O'Neal ran very well um, in that LG2 car. Third place was Hughes. Yeah, and then, like I said, Ebert got fourth. Terry Phillips is kind of the story, though. You you win one, you have your outside pole and another one, and you kind of flop. He's got to be disappointed. But I would say, for me right now, I would say I really enjoy watching that 60 car. Um, one of the best Wasota modified drivers out there by far, easily be in the top three in the power rankings if they were running primarily Wasota, but he's not. And interesting, he's living in Charlotte. He was talking, Bert, about, you know, they were going to wait to see how the weekend kind of went before they decided if they were going to continue to follow the whole series. And I'm assuming after a weekend like that, that he's going to stick with it just a little bit longer because he's slid up into the top seven in points now. He's within striking distance, a few good runs. He'd be right in the mix of things. And that's probably going to make a lot of the Wasota guys pretty happy, right? Because they don't have to see him every week then. But it's, it's got to be a little bit of a challenge because he lives now in Mooresville, North Carolina. So, like, I talked to him, and he had to, like, fly in. He flew in, I believe, Thursday night. I think he flew over there to race. So so he's got some extra expenses, a little bit of a I – don't, I don't even know who's working on the car. Because if he's living down there, I wonder if it's his dad must have a pit crew taking care of all the car and stuff because he's not there. So a little bit of a interesting, interesting story to kind of follow with that 60. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean – you know, North Carolina is a hub of racing, but not necessarily dirt racing. No, USMTS no. racing. <laughs> but the mods, I tell you, they got some good mods. I mean, they got, yeah. I mean, that's where Lethal is, right? So he's he's right, right there down by you know David Scrammy, but then of course Hoffman's there with his elite and and uh of course Longhorn by Lowenbro with uh Steve Arpin at the helm there. So they got it's kind of the hub for the UMP style, you know, and I guess there's a lot of lethals, there's getting to be a lot more lethals in our area not so much the Longhorns or the elites, but uh, boy, there's a lot of knowledge. And I tell you, that kid's already smart. I mean, him and his dad are very, very smart. His dad used to work with Dick Trickle and they're very, very smart minds, engineering mindset, Um, mix that with an immense talent behind the wheel. Um, It'd be interesting to see what kind of knowledge he can pick up while down in Mooresville. Because of course, that's where the Fox shocks. He takes care of, all the circle pack stuff, I believe, for Fox. And he's working with a lot of those other guys. You know, Nick Hoffman, who has an elite, of course, he's on Fox himself, right? And then there's there's some dirt late model guys running Fox. So very sharp guy. It's interesting. And he's moved around a little bit. He was down in Kentucky a few years back, and he was working with Jackie Boggs down there. You know, so he's kind of bounced around. Right? And he's been, of course, in the, in the snowmobile stuff there the snowcross stuff. I think it's Articat that he was with. So he's used to kind of traveling all over the countryside. At some point, he's going to say, I'm going to live here. I don't know if that'll be any time in the next 20 years or not, but, you know, he bounces around a lot. But it'll be interesting to see if that 60 car continues to follow the series. And uh, we'll see if that traveling maybe plays a toll on some of them things, but it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how long he follows it. And, um, you know, I haven't watched the USMTS for, you know, the last several races. But, you know, like I said, I watched these. And Saturday's show, you know, you couldn't stop from watching it because it was, I mean, it was, I mean, there was a blanket over the top five cars. And uh, it, 
it was very good racing. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to watching more. I really hope the car counts stay high because right now a lot of the, you look at the guys that are racing there, a lot of them race different areas, but their stuff just ain't open yet. So I'm hoping that that many cars follow because it, it dwindled a little bit from the week before quite a bit, you know, like almost half from the week before, but it'll be interesting to see how that develops as the season goes on. Hopefully they can continue with some big car counts because you're right. Mm -hmm. The racing has been phenomenal with the USMTS and, and uh, turns out none of us picked anybody right for the USMTS. <laughs> so that didn't work out very good for yeah, any of us. Yeah. I think Rodney Sanders wants me to stop picking him. So I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I think Ramirez and he had a horrible weekend too. So, well, let's get into the local racing. We had one track open up in what I would consider our local area. And that's the Cedar Lake Speedway. And I remember Bert as a, when I was in super stocks years back, I'd pull into Cedar Lake for the opener. And it was like, you were pulling into a huge special. I mean, there was 60 supers and mods and, 40 to 50 late models. I mean, the place was jam packed with cars and not so much now. I think there's like a, I don't, I don't, you might have the exact number in front of you. In fact, I could look it up at 130 cars, maybe in seven classes, 10 late models. Wow. And I'm talking yeah. some of the late model guys that were not there, right? Our locals, Pat Doerr lives in New Richmond. I don't know where he was. Both Hannisteads weren't there, right? Uh, Radetzky wasn't there. Chad Mater wasn't there. AJ Demo wasn't there, right? So you start looking at some of these guys. Joel Collins wasn't there. I, it's kind of interesting. And you look at the 10 late models they had, like five of them, Bert, are guys that once their stuff opens up, they don't race Cedar Lake. And right. I mean, you know, Justin Ritchie, who, you know, from Eastern Wisconsin, he was there. But yeah, I mean, he's not going to be there during the season. So that's one for sure. <laughs> Well, here's a question I have. So do you think that Cedar Lake would have more cars if they went back to Wissota, right? Because do you think some of the guys that are like, well, there's no Wissota points, there's no reason to go down there. Super stocks seem like have a, they had a pretty good feel of cars, but do you think that plays a point? Do you think people don't care why? I mean, and it's kind of been this way the last few years at Cedar at their openers. It's like, where is everybody? It's like, well, it's a ghost town for race cars, especially late models, you know, and it's like, where is everybody? Are they, I mean, I remember back when, when I was racing, I was gung-ho. It's like, I was not missing Cedar Lake opener. It just wasn't, I was there for sure. Whether I was ready or not, I was going. And, and now it's just not the case. There's so many people that are like, well, we'll wait another week or two. And it's like, is there, is people just not that hungry? Are they not that hungry to go to Cedar I don't know what the reasoning is there. They should be concerned. Yeah, they had a really good fan count, so they made a bunch of money. They did good. Well, and the car count was brutal. And they had pretty good weather for the first weekend of April. So, and I mean, yes. you, you can't blame the weather um, for the low car count. Um, as much as, you know, when I, a lot of times when I talk to drivers, they always tell me, yeah, I don't race for points. I don't care about points, blah, blah, blah. But I think deep down, it does hurt a track if they don't have, if they're not racing for something other than just the purse for the, for the night. Right. Um, I think there has to be an ultimate goal for some drivers for them to go. Um, like, I mean, does Cedar Lake even for late models, especially, do they even race for a track championship? 
Well, last year they didn't, but they have the dash. It looks like there's a bunch of dash races this year. So I think they're anything that's considered a dash race, I think goes towards their track point deal. So, okay. so they do have a, they do have a track championship for all the classes, but a lot of the guys, especially the late models that race Cedar Lake, well, they'll they'll leave there in a in a hurry if there's a special elsewhere, whether it's a challenge series special or a, a bigger paying show somewhere else, they just they just leave. So there's not a lot of loyalty like there used to be um, by drivers going to Cedar Lake, which I mean it's still kind of the mecca as far as facilities, all that to speak. But uh, the local racing, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see if the car counts improve over the year. We'll have to watch and see, but I'm not very impressed with the car counts to open up. Yeah, I, I mean, it almost seems like, uh, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not knocking the track. I mean, maybe this, it, maybe this is their goal, but it almost seems like Cedar Lake has become more special oriented rather than weekly racing oriented. I know that's one of the complaints of Eldora now is, you know, that the local rate local drivers who used to race there weekly don't even really get a chance to race there anymore because all, all Eldora has is specials and it kind of looks like kind of seems like Cedar Lake kind of moves towards that philosophy a little bit. I don't know if that's the case, but that from an outsider looking in, that's what it kind of looks like. to me. Well, I, I think there's some truth to that, but what, what these promoters don't understand bird is, is specials are better if all the tracks have a, if they have a big fan base, if they have a big following, like on weekly special, on weekly programs, that means that there's a lot more fans to be had. So when you do have a special, there's a lot more race fans. And, and it's like over the last 20 years, tracks, none of them, not just Cedar, but none of them have really done anything to try to build the fan base. They promote the racing aspect of it, which I get it, it's a racetrack, but they're promoting racing, you're not bringing in new fans. You know, they got to be doing some things to bring in new fans. And Cedar Lake, of all places, should realize this because the most profitable night of the year they have is their bus races, right? And that brings in a whole demographic of people that's not typically race fans. Well, if you do something gimmicky like that each and every night, it doesn't need to be to that, you know, to that extent, but something gimmicky where you're bringing in fans all every night that aren't normally race fans, then you can start turning those people into race fans. And, and I just, for the life of me, I don't understand why these tracks haven't done it. Now, with that said, the fan count they had, Bert, was, I have, I've heard some numbers and I think some of the numbers I heard were kind of inflated, but I will say they had a very good crowd um, because the weather was good. People are hungry right. and want to get out and about. So the crowd was good. And I, I didn't see a lot of complaints online few people kind of commented on the low late model count, you know, which when you have 10, of course, they're gonna, right? And I think one of them might have been a limited that ran with them. I'm not sure. But but the fact is, they got up. The only way your car code's going to go up is A, the track has to be good and you got to treat the racers right. And they got to just continue to build the right culture there. So it's early in the year. It's week number one, beginning of April. Heck, it's been a while since they've ran that early because of weather. <laughs> So right. maybe maybe a lot of people just figured, ah, we there's no way they're going to race. They haven't raced that early in a while, so maybe they just weren't quite ready to go yet. But after they saw that they were up and going, they'll probably be and, ready now. And that's always one thing that uh, always kind of boggled my mind. Um, you were a former driver, and maybe you can explain this to me as you know what date 
the opener is. Why are you struggling at the last the last week working working until three o'clock in the morning to get your car ready for opening night? Well, I can tell you why I did it because I didn't have any money, <laughs> right? So mine was all money orientated, and I like I'd have to I'd wait on sponsor money, create some extra income, and do all these different things to try to generate enough cash flow to have the parts necessary to get out there. And now, if a person's in that situation where they're like waiting on money to get the parts they need. That could put them way behind the eight ball because some of these parts uh, distributors aren't. You're you're a ways out on parts. Sometimes it's it's a it's a ways. I know like Winters, for example, they build rent housings and hubs. Sounds like they're shutting down their whole hub division because they just can't get people to come to work because of the COVID stuff. So that's just how racers work. A sign guy, you talk to people like. Uh, like Buzzy or Jordan over at Outlaw, you know, you talk to some of them guys and they say the same thing. Every racer waits until like the week of racing. Yeah, I need my car letter. And they're like, we don't even sleep for like three weeks because, or might even be longer because they're lettering so many cars. It's just the way it is. People wait till the last minute. And I think a lot of it has to do with just generating that funding to put the new stuff out on the racetrack. And, you know, I, I remember Kelly Esty, he always got his new car like the middle of the season. And then they take it out towards the end of the year. And then when he'd start the season the next year, his stuff was already ready to go. So as you can see, both Estes were down at Cedar Lake Speedway. Maybe that's the answer. I don't know. But uh, I think the car cones are going to improve. But, you know, let's talk about a few of the races there. Just briefly, I know Joe Provenzino, a very light car count in the USRA late models, but he got her down there. Probably one of the better races of the night, Ashley Merworth, she got it done in the Midwest Mods. Jake Smith had a late race challenge, and she held him at bay to put the 17 in victory lane, so hats off to her. Um, we're going to skip past one here because there's a little bit of drama <laughs> in my favorite class. The modified though, Shane Sabraski, starting right where he left off, just absolutely curb stomping everybody in the modifieds. His third win of the year, if we're We'll have to figure out if it's, it's not going to be a quest of 50 because there's more racing to be had this year. It's going to be higher than that, I promise. But he's at number three. He got two in the X mods in Arizona, but he got his first area win in the, in the well, I guess I shouldn't say Wasota, but in the modified um, at the Cedar Lake Speedway. The late models burnt uh, Giassi, James Nitro Giassi. He jumped out, slid the guy for the lead. He got by Sammy Mars. Next thing you know, they come in the corner. They're all turned around. I'm like, what the, What? What just happened? I kind of missed it. Well, he would have, in my mind, I think he was going to drive away from that one. Jake Tim actually won it, but I think Giassi was going to be tough. And he said that when he came into three and four, the last lap, he's not sure if it's from hooking or rut or whatever, but he broke a lift bar. And when he came into turn one and two, the lift bar dug in and it tore shit up in the back of the car. And now uh, when you when you rip the lift bar out, it wrecks a lot of equipment. He was a little disgruntled by that because he's not on a huge budget. He works over at MB. And uh, so he doesn't have a lot of dollars. And he was a little bummed out that, you know, that's a big chunk of change. I guarantee that he was going to have to spend in a win that he was probably going to get. But uh one thing that happened in the Supers, and I'll, I'll let you get into what you saw, is Dave Moss won, kind of. No, he won. He actually put a beat down on him by about a straightaway. Nisalki got out to the early lead, and then, and then Moss kind of tracked him down and drove by him. But the question is, should he have won, right? 
And, and I'm going to play the clip right now, folks, so you can kind of see it. You can watch. And it's not people are going, I know you just got a rivalry with Dave Moss. Well, that might be true. But the fact is, I, I don't agree with the call. I, I, Bert, I hate this no-fault caution crap. Like, he come in the corner, he clearly got sideways, slid up into the guy, slid up into Nisalski, Nisalki, comes down the track, and uh, there's Terran SpaceX had to spin out to avoid him, right? SpaceX in the infield, SpaceX to the back because he stopped because Cedar Lake has their stupid no-fault caution rule. And I guess, you know, Dave can put it in the little mark right there. He got he got a gift right there. So when, when something happens later in the year, it kind of equals its way out. He can't be too upset about getting a bad call later because he should not have won that race. What do you think? Um, well, I mean, I see where you're coming from. Uh, yes, I mean, Moss definitely spun, got sideways. Um, actually, the way I saw it, and I mean, I watched it a few times, and actually, I'd like to watch it a few more times. It To me, I think he was going to spin out completely. Well, I mean, he actually did wind up spinning out completely, but he kept going. Um, but I think uh, he got hooked together with, when he got sideways and slid up into the outside car they kind of got hooked together a little bit and actually i think that's what kind of saved them and allowed him to keep going otherwise i think he may have come to a stop after he spun um but yeah i mean i've been saying on this show since we started started talking about the no fault rule is the reason series the reason tracks have the no fault rule is because it does they don't have to make a judgment call then and, you know, they're able to just say, okay, you stopped on the track, you go to the back, everybody else gets their spot back. It makes it, makes their job easier, but, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're not punishing the person who actually started the whole mess. <laughs> yeah. I, and I get it, you know, cause I mean, it's hard to get officials, right? I mean, it's just there's not a lot of people volunteering for that job. And then it's really hard to get officials that can make a qualified, you know, something, a call that actually makes sense. But again, it comes down to they even replayed it, right? Dirt Race Central was there with FYE TV and they replayed it a couple of times and they showed it, right? They showed what happened. I, in, my, in my mind, if you have the footage there, if you have the camera guy there, they should have an official camped out right next to that person. And if they happen to catch it, just look at it and say, well, clearly it was on this guy. He goes to the back. Why not make a call when it's an easy call to make? You know, why Why penalize? I mean, should, should SpaceX just stay in the gas and just tee him up and drive right through him and keep going? No, then you'd end up with a whole bunch of wrecked race cars. You can't do that. And, you know, I mean, we've all spun out. Every one of us that's raced has spun out and crossed that up and caused the yellow. I mean, I get it. But the fact is that rule, I mean, it's just going to create boxing matches in the pits. That's all it's going to do because, you know, if they ain't going to penalize a guy and it's not like he intentionally drove in anybody and spun him out and wrecked him. He didn't do that. He just, he just spun out. So that's a different deal. So you can't really be mad at him, I guess, because he just made a mistake. But the fact of the matter is, you know, this, we're getting into a world right now where nobody wants to take ownership for anything. And, and why I talked to some drivers that race at Cedar Lake and they're like, none of us drivers want this stupid rule. You can't get it through their idiot heads over there to get rid of the rule. And it makes no sense. It's like, it's like Cedar Lake is so wrapped up into like, Oh, we're Cedar Lake, right? We're, you know, we got world of all our shows and we got the USA nationals. Well, 
If you remember what happened at the USA Nationals last year, that no-fault caution rule is the whole reason that Turbo is not racing any WRG stuff, World of Outlaws, or um, the, I guess, the Hell Tour UMP Summer National stuff, because he's still on suspension, because he reacted, because he got flat-out screwed, because he got spun out by Bobby Pierce. See, if they're, if they're going to have that rule, well, then when somebody reacts, when they get a bad call or when they get the wrong to the deal, just, just brush that off too. Just say, hey, all right, you're disqualified for the night. Come back racing next week. I mean, they, you can't have it both ways. If they're going to have that rule, you got to let people police themselves. And if you're not going to let people police themselves, then you need to do the policing. Pick one. I, I don't know what I don't know what to say about that. But Cedar Lake, needless to say, uh, they're, they're going night number two next week. And uh, let's talk about some upcoming events first. And uh, we'll jump right into that one. So on Dirt Race Central, um, actually, there's a couple different ways to access this, but watch drc.tv is how you access any Dirt Race Central event. Saturday night, night number two at the Cedar Lake Speedway. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see what their car counts look like because Ogilvy Burt is having a double header Friday and Saturday. Now, a lot of those guys that raced at Cedar Lake this Saturday will be in Ogilvy. So the, as bad as their car counts were, are they going to be worse, right? Are you going to see a Sabraski? Are you going to see Dave Moss? Are you going to see, I know Kevin Burdick is going for sure over to Ogilvy. So you start looking at some of these drivers and pretty soon they're down into the teens in all their classes. And it's like, uh-oh, now we're in trouble. So so two races, the first with soda racing action of the 2021 season, Friday and Saturday night, doubleheader at the Ogilvy Raceway. Both of these races and Cedar Lake are all going to be on Dirt Race Central. Um, Bert, are you going to be able to catch any of that action? I know that you're a late model guy, so you're probably a little bit more interested to see what happens at Cedar. Um, well, it depends. If they don't have any cars, then it's not going to matter. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean... I'll check, I'll check them out. I mean, if I don't watch it live, I'll definitely uh, uh, watch, pick and choose what I want to watch afterward. I mean, actually, I shouldn't say this, but sometimes it's actually kind of nice watching it afterwards because you can just fast forward through the cautions and, and that sort of thing. So <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, I, I understand completely. I, I may have done the same thing a time or two myself. So let's get into uh, let's get into a little bit of world of all my stuff. So Dirt Vision, they, they obviously carry all the World of Outlaw action, whether it's the late models or the sprint cars or even the UMP stuff. Um, they're heading to Bristol, World of Outlaw late models. And, you know, Jeff actually sent me all of our picks here. We're going to start talking about some picks. But Friday and Saturday night, they got the Bristol Bash. 10,000 win Friday for the late models, 25,000 win Saturday. They're also running UMP modifieds with that. This was that invite-only deal. Sounds like a few of them drivers were kind of opted out of their invite that aren't, they're not going. I know Bobby Pierce, Jeff let me know that Bobby Pierce opted out. He's not going to Bristol. He's going, it sounds like he's going to run the Lucas Oil MLRA deal down yep. in uh, Wheatland. So let's talk about our picks. Now, I'll let you go first. I got our picks written down here. Um, night one and night two in Bristol. Who do you got, Bert? We're picking both nights? Yep. Okay. Um, I'm assuming he's going to be there since he won a couple weeks ago. I'm going to take Superman for both nights. <laughs> All right. Well, that's kind of a that's kind of an interesting deal. So, okay. So, Bert has Jonathan Davenport to win night one and night two at Bristol. 
Jeff, he's going with RTJ. He, he has him picked for both nights, Ricky Thornton Jr. Pete said it's going to be about time that Brandon Shepard remembers how to win. Um, if you remember, Bert, he already has half a win this year. Um, I don't consider that quite a full feature win. We're going to give him a half a win on that one. So Pete has B-Shep for both nights. Keith also has Davenport for both nights. I'm going to go a little different. I'm taking Davenport for night number two. I'll take him for the 25000 So that's three of us that got JD. But I'm taking a dark horse here on night number one. I'm taking the black sunshine. I was waiting for that. Bloomquist. <laughs> I tell you, he looked pretty darn good yep. at that last Bristol race. So he kind of likes that half mile stuff, the big stage. I'm picking Bloomer night one, Davenport night number two. And now, I mean, I, I'm taking Davenport because none of the outlaw drivers, except for Bloomquist, decided to go there the first time. So um, they're, they're not going to have the laps on the track that Davenport does. Yeah. And, and he's been tough. He's been, he's been on fire and, and really the, if you look at even the finishes from the Illini, right, the world of all that guys, for the most part, really didn't run that good, you know. So, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see Davenport and, could be the guy. I did find it funny because I was watching the features and uh, even the announcers during the race are pointing out that the world of outlaw drivers are not fit, not very high in the in the standings. Or in, they the, were. in the running order. <laughs> I wonder how World Racing Group feels about that right now. Because I mean, but they own UMP too. So in their mind, they're like, well, they're still our guys. It's UMP. Right. So I mean, it's still their guys. Well, let's get into the sprints, right? So the World of Outlaw Sprints, they got two shows this weekend. Friday, they're heading down to Kokomo. Um, and then Saturday, they're heading to Hobstadt, Indiana to the Tri-State Speedway. Um, I believe both of these are little bull rings. They're both little quarter mile nails. And uh, I'll just go, we'll start with our sprint car expert. He'd been picking Sheldon Hoddenschild. Okay, Keith has been, he's been like, just, I'm taking, I'm taking Sheldon. I'm taking Sheldon. He's like, hell with Sheldon. He's been like, he ain't been doing crap. I'm taking, I'm going with Brad Sweet both nights. So Keith has the big cap, okay, two nights. Pete, he picked Logan Schuhart to win both nights. Jeff, he says, I'm, I'm taking it. He goes, I, I'm sticking with it. Donnie Schatz is going to win one yet. He's at 299. He's due. He's taking Donnie Schatz for both. I, on the other hand, am going to just throw a curveball to the mix because I rode with Brad Sweet last week. But just because just because Keith jumped off him, I'm going to take Sheldon Hottenschild both nights. Okay, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to be that guy. Bert, who do you have uh, night one and night two for the sprint cars? I'm going to take Donnie shots on the first night okay. and give me uh give me gravel for the second night. There you go. That's a pick. That's a, that's a good one right there. David gravel. So there you have it. That's our picks for the week. We got four races between the, between us five. I'm leading by one. It's still pretty tight, but I got a couple of wild cards in this one. So it, it could either go really good or really bad for me this week. We'll find out soon enough. Now, and some more racing going on, and this series has been pretty cool. On Flow, there's a couple different races on Flow Racing this weekend, um, both of them on Saturday night. <laughs> now, we're going to get into an interesting development here in just a second, but the Schaefer Spring Nationals, again, another good-paying show, 10053 to win at the I-75 Speedway in Sweetwater, Tennessee, right? Now, of course, Bristol is also in Tennessee. So you got Sweetwater, Tennessee. That one's on flow. Um, it'll be interesting to see who heads to that one because there's so much other racing going on. I mean, 
you, you look at all the races going on, it'll be interesting to see. I don't, you know, I look at a lot of the guys that were the top tier guys going to Bristol. I don't see them necessarily going to I-75, but 10,053 on the line. Could you maybe see a Brandon Overton show up there? Well, a after his showing at Bristol the first time, it wouldn't shock me if Overton went to uh, the Schaefer's race. <laughs> right. I'm kind of expecting if, if he was one, because Jimmy Owens, I, I don't know where he's going. I'd expect to see him at Bristol, but he's right there. You know, so if I were to pick one, because I know that Tyler Herb, it sounds like Herb is going to the MLRA race at uh, oh. Wheatland, I, I believe. So I'm not, I'm not really positive who's going to be at I-75. I'm thinking maybe Overton, but I'm not positive. And then the Southern All-Stars, um, they're actually in Thunder Hill, which is Summertown, Tennessee. That's 5,000 to win on Saturday. So a couple late model races besides the, of course, the World of Outlaw Bristol Bash going on on flow. And then on Lucas Oil Racing TV, and just to let the fans know, you don't need a subscription yet because they're transitioning to MAV. You don't even need to log in to watch these races. So you just got to go to Lucas Oil Racing TV and you'll just be able to watch it live. They got a double header, the Lucas Oil MLRA series opening up down in Wheatland at the Lucas Oil Speedway. Five grand to win on Friday, 10 grand to win on Saturday. Bert, did, did you by chance look at their Facebook page at some of the drivers that are going to this? I know. I just heard that Bobby Pierce was going. I didn't look at to see who else was going. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be pretty impressive. I mean, they got Moyer going there. Jake Tim's going to follow that series. Pappage, right. well, look at the Simpson and, boys. And there you go. There goes Cedar Lake's feature winner from last week. I mean, he won't be in Cedar Lake. <laughs> correct. Correct. So, so you start looking at it. Did it that's going to be another good field of cars right there. And I was, I'm, I'm, it's my understanding that that's where Turbo is going because obviously he can't go to Bristol. It's a world of race, so he can't race there. And it just makes sense for him to go. It's 10 grand to win and five grand to win to race there instead of just one show in Tennessee. Right. So I can see Turbo going there as well. So it's going to be interesting to see who all pops in. Maybe the weather will play a part in it. We will find out. And then uh, the Mars Late Model Series, they're racing on Saturday as well. But before I get into that, so that's three races in Tennessee for late models. Of course, it's invite only. They'll be fine at Bristol. But uh, the Mars Late Model Series, Racing Performance Media is actually going to be doing their own streaming. So you got to go to racingperformancemedia.com. I think it's like 25 bucks for the show or whatever. That one's going to be at Peoria, five grand to win on Saturday. Now, Bert. If I were, if I were Tony Izzo, I'd be really nervous, really nervous because between Bristol, the Lucas Oil MLRA, right between all that stuff that's going on, is he the odd man out on this deal? I mean, who, I mean, where's Gundaker is going to go? Where's, where are they going to go to the Lucas Oil MLRA? Are they going to go there? Where's Heckenass going to go? Where's Brian Shirley going to go? Um, I know Bobby Pierce is going to the Lucas Oil MLRA. Dennis Herb is going to the Bristol Bash. What does that leave him? Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> there's definitely a limited number of cars to go around, and um, there's a lot of high-paying shows across the um, Midwest, down you know the mid mid part of the United States on south and. Uh, yeah, it's tough to say. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe Unzicker, right? Maybe maybe he goes right. And there's a lot of specials this weekend between, you know, that's that's like five. Now, obviously, the the Southern All-Stars one, well, that's Tennessee. So that's not, I mean, they're just kind of down there. But so you got three in Tennessee. You've got, of course, Wheatland, Missouri, right? Um, and then you have Peoria, Illinois. I guess maybe some of it will depend on weather. You know, I, I know it's supposed to be a little bit ugly, during the week but i think saturday is supposed to be nice again so it'll be interesting to see if they can a get that show in and b who shows up to that show hopefully it goes off good i mean there's there's still quite a few local late model guys but i'd be concerned if i were him with some of the stuff that's going on in the area now um the other race that's going on this weekend that i don't know i haven't heard yet if they're being streamed or not is the the uh repairable vehicles tri-star or tri-state late model series that's opening up over at the park jefferson speedway friday and saturday and as a wasota late model fan i'm excited to see that hopefully they have it streamed because i i can see a lot of the a lot of the guys from wasota from south dakota heading down that way maybe a chad becker maybe a scott ward um, some of them guys like to make the trip down. I don't know if anybody else will, but those guys typically do. Um, but of course, with Missouri racing, um, this kind of, I don't know if that'll pull anybody away, but they, they'll still get a good feel of cars for that double header there. And uh, we'll have to keep an eye and see what happens. Because that, that right there is part of the power rankings region, so mm -hmm. to speak. We kind of, we kind of follow some of them guys. So Bert, what are you most looking forward to this weekend um i guess bristol i mean seeing i mean we we've seen late model racing at bristol this year already but i think we both agree that there were the competition past the top five cars or so was not what it's going to be this weekend this upcoming well, sunday weekend. monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday <laughs> saturday week <laughs> we'll just call it week, right? Well, the now, late models only race two days. <laughs> now, I okay, so Bristol, I have a hard time saying that I, I'm excited for a half mile. I'm just simply not. Um, I'm more interested to see probably that Lucas Oil MLRA deal. Um, I'm, that's going to be a pretty good field of cars. I'm excited for Ogilvy with sort of racing action underway. That's going to be on Dirt Race Central. Um, watch drc.tv. I'm really looking forward to that. No late models at the big O, but I think they're gonna have if the weather's if the weather cooperates, if the weather looks good with a double header, nobody else opening up quite yet. Cedar Lake's kind of the other direction a little bit. I can expect them to have a pretty good field of modified super stocks, Midwest mods, street stocks, and I think they have mod fours and hornets or whatever there too. But uh, the top classes, nothing against those classes, but I'm more looking forward to, you know, some of the classes that we're doing the power rankings for. So I mean, actually, what I'm really looking forward to the most is uh, a practice, uh, Shano Speedway practice. I can actually hear some cars, smell some race fuel, uh, get some dirt in my eye. So. Oh, you're going to go? Are you going to go to practice? Um, I, I, I'm probably at least for a little while. Yeah, how, I mean, how far do you live from the track there? Oh, only like 35 miles or 35 oh, minutes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. 35 so you're not minutes. That far away. Yeah. It's about, I don't know, uh, 25 miles or so. 
So, so I expect at the very least a few pictures, but maybe an interview or something like that. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe you can throw it, throw it on Facebook live and go talk to maybe Brad over there and let him talk about uh, opening weekend. Don't they got a, well, they're, they're opening up right with that's next weekend with the dirt Kings, aren't they? Yes, a week from this coming Saturday. I think it's the 17th of April, whatever that Saturday is. Yeah. So, so yeah, they're Discount Shock Towels Dirt Kings Late Model right, Series right, over right. there. And and Plymouth is not racing yet at that time. So, you know, most of, most of the Plymouth cars, I would hope, would come up to Shano and race with that. So, you know, there should be 25 to 30 uh, late models uh, for that show, if if not more than 30. Yeah, that'll be a, that'll be a good field for sure. So I, I'm looking forward to watching that one as well. So with that said, lots of racing coming up. Bert, you're nipping on my heels. You're one behind me in the picks <laughs> right now, but you are still behind me. I'm going to go ahead and point that out. <laughs> and uh, I, I like to win. Not that I want you to lose, but if we're competing, I guess I kind of do. So with that said, uh, I'm Ryan Aho. That is the one and only Bert Lehman. And uh, as Puka always says, go out there, be your dream. Thanks for tuning in to the One to Go Show. A production of Goat Sports Media, LLC.